Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Magic and the Other Guy. And you join Kevin and myself, as ever, outside my home here in Charlotte on the banks of Lake Wiley. It is beautifully sunny and clear today, Kevin. It is. It's a very nice wintry day. It's, yeah, no rain. Uh, it was it was actually below freezing when I woke up this morning, but it seems to have lifted up a little bit in temperature, so it's not that cold now. But well, too, the see how the sun hits this porch right when we're usually doing this, so that kind of definitely helps. Yes, yes, so it's quite nice out considering. Here we are, episode nineteen. As ever, I never know what we're going to be talking about. So fill us all in. What are we going to be talking about? Well, of course, back in the uh, early episodes, we did you know we covered some TV and we covered some movies. But there's so much more to all that that I figured today we go a little subgenre okay. and talk about just sci-fi. Oh, and which is a, a subject that you know could be talked about for hours upon hours upon hours, <laughs> especially if you are a fervent right. fan or collector in that realm. Yeah. But you know, let's touch on you know our experiences with just that. Uh, yes, I am a big fan of Star Wars, so that's always going to be um, my um, starting point. I think with. Uh, with sci-fi and possibly if we can include Doctor Who as science fiction yeah let's include Doctor Who because I remember watching that as a kid and Star Trek of course but how about you what's your sort of first memories of getting involved with science fiction well I was thinking about it you know planning you know this this idea and if Star Wars was definitely the major turning point yeah no doubt about it I was eight when that happened but prior to that, I mean, there was Star Trek, which I think we talk, talked on it before. It's just I don't think I got into it because I just don't remember it being on. You know, it would have had to be in reruns, and it kind of depended on what your you know local channels and stuff right. showed. And I just don't remember it being there. So I, I knew of it, and occasionally friends would have some toys, but I just never really picked up on it. Yeah. And then, you know, I, you know Space 1999 was earlier than Star Wars, and that was on, I'm sure, on Saturday mornings some. But again, I kind of remember it being there, but not always, it wasn't like I would make sure I watched it. I would catch it occasionally and whatever. And uh, I do remember there was a Saturday morning show called, and this was prior to Star Wars, called Arc 2. Arc 2? Arc 2. Oh yeah, I don't know. And it was a, uh, I guess a half hour uh, Saturday morning show. It might've been an hour, but it was this family and they lived, they they traveled the, the wastelands in like, the 25th century or something like that in this kind of RV looking thing and they had a oh cool the wastelands of earth was yeah, it? yeah I, okay. I assume it yeah, was yeah. you know after Post, uh, yeah. you know, post-apocalyptic yeah, right? yeah. wastelands and it was kind of a neat RV it kind of had a, a each where each wheel would be would be three wheels you know they kind of spun together and oh, cool and it was a custom built thing for the for the movie and it was a family and they also had a, a chimpanzee and I think he could talk best I can recall. Yes. And they had this cool little, when they wanted to like go for more outings from the RV, there was yeah. this, this vehicle that would drive out of the back. And of course, you know, I loved anything with wheels. Sure. So, and they, they drive that off, but they would, you know, encounter other cultures and other tribes and stuff like that. Yes. So that was all prior to Star Wars. And then I remember, I remember vividly just I were watching something in 77, obviously, and the trailer for Star Wars came on TV. And I remember just coming away from that going, what was that? <laughs> and back then I drew everything. I was just always sketching and drawing. Yeah. So I drew a picture that evening, and I still have it. No kidding. You can, if you can yeah. believe that. Yeah, okay. I, know I, can. I, I, know I can. say no kidding. I can believe it, yeah. So uh, I'll probably dig that up and maybe post it. Um, but that was, after that, it was like the boom 
yes. of sci-fi in my world was just Star Wars on. Yes, now you mentioned uh, Space 1999, and I can remember that vividly. Um, and the thing that I was most attracted to about that was the really cool spaceships that they had, even the industrial, if you like, the, the transporter ships, the eagles and things. You yeah, know, it was yeah. so, it was so, be, so but, cool. They seemed to be very much based on insects and wildlife, which is still a current thing, I think, isn't it? When you look at how um, science fiction uh, prop designers or costume designers or vehicle designers work, they always seem to be influenced by wildlife. And uh, I think so, anyway. And I remember the, uh, the eagles from Space 1999 were, were very attractive. And I did have a model of one of the eagles with the removable cargo hold in the yep. middle and the sort of space frame structure that went you know, across kind the middle, the like the chassis. Yes, yep. like the exoskeleton, exactly, yeah. And uh, I love that, yeah, it's really Yeah, cool. they were kind of ahead of their time with that one. Yeah. But I also think a lot of that probably in the early 70s probably came from you know, interest in the space race. You know, yes. once we landed on the moon and that was such a big thing leading up to that and then post that, I think that fueled you know, those kind of shows and stuff like that and kind of yeah. you know, got people interested in, you know, worlds beyond and stuff like that. And thankfully, because of um, the internet and YouTube now, a lot of those old series, those old episodes of any science fiction series, most of them are out there. And I did watch a couple of episodes of Space 1999 fairly recently, and the thing that struck me about them is, A, all, all, the, all the vehicles still look very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, boy, the pacing of those... 60s, 70s shows, they were so slow, like, yes. scenes would last five minutes and nothing really would happen, <laughs> you know, and at the time, of course, you know, we got here from there, as I always say about a lot of things, and uh, we improved in the world of TV. That's well, you kind of you kind of wonder if some of that, maybe their, their idea of filming it and how they filmed it was somewhat based on 2001 A Space Odyssey, because well there were so many slow, yeah. drawn-out shots in that. Yeah, and it was yeah. So, in 2001. You know, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's a very slow-paced movie. So maybe they took yes. from that and said, well, this was kind of an important movie involving space. Let's carry that over. That one scene, now you're thinking about 2001. I know we're sort of hopping around, but we always do that. that there's one scene in 2001 where Hal, Hal 9000, the computer, is watching the astronauts, Dave Bowman and one other, before um, you know the plot unfolds and one other disappears. Um, and, and the two astronauts are sitting inside one of the pods, the classic line, open the pod bay door, Hal. Uh, there's two astronauts are sitting inside one of the pods to get away from Hal so they can have a private conversation. Yes. And Hal is lip reading what they're saying through the window, right? Yeah, remember yeah. that? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just remember that scene, kind of yeah, through the portal. And the scene seemed to go on <laughs> forever. <laughs> but, who, hey, you're never going to complain. It's a bit like, you know, people complaining about the Beatles' White Album. And I remember McCartney saying, hey, it's the White Album. We've got nothing to apologize for. And, yeah. it's, the, and it's the same with Kubrick 2001. He's got nothing to apologize yeah. for. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of those uh, shows are, are available uh, on YouTube, thankfully. Uh, but like you, I do remember my first introduction to Star Wars was not an advert on the television, but I remember being in Loughborough, which is the nearest town to my little village where I grew up, and there seemed to be a lot of adverts for things and posters for things saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
and of course no one knew what it was and yeah. I just remember coming back home from one day and one Saturday afternoon and I was thinking what was what you know what is this what what am I missing you know and of course like you say boom you know yeah. out comes the movie and uh, the world will never be the same yeah well you can imagine how I mean, sure, there's many documentaries on how it was all, you know, developed and pitched, but can you imagine being an executive and them coming in and telling you what it is and them looking at it going, it's a bunch of, and you got a space monkey in here, and what, what else, what, what's going on here? Yeah, so, I mean, thank goodness everything went according to plan and we ended up with the movie being made. And yeah. Yes, I'm sure it was absolutely touching. Well, it was, of course, point. summer of 77 here. Do you remember when it was, was it pretty much on yeah, that same time Pretty frame much the there? same time. Yeah, my, I, I, my memory is 77. They kept that one yes, fairly yeah. on the same thing because London, I think, was a big deal. And they filmed in England, too. I think, then they filmed yeah, a lot Yeah, I think of, they still do. Yeah. 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 Shepperton Studios, right? I think, I think. I can't remember which one they did, but uh, I think a lot I of I think a lot of movies still make use, thankfully. It's good good to see, actually. Um, Shepperton Studios still get used a lot. I know a lot of the Bond movies are shot there, and uh, I think Star Wars, even to this day, I think they still have a. Um, I would think so. They yeah. still use Shepperton. Well, and, and now you know, as as the years have gone on, one of the one of the cool things I think we've we've often chatted about. We have this love of collecting things and a love of engineering, and you just said anything with wheels, and uh, I'm a big fan of um, science fiction vehicles and all of that. As we just chatted about, and uh, I know when the later movies were being made. Uh, whether it's the prequels or the, the sequel three, when the prop designers were saying, you know, there, there was nothing left of the original Millennium Falcon, for example, and they were studying photographs and uh, they were studying images and drawings of it, and then they went to Shepparton to see if there was anything left in Shepparton. They had to reproduce everything. I think that would have been so cool. Oh, yeah. Imagine being involved in that project, like trying to piece back together the Millennium Falcon. Whatever it would be, you know, I think that's just an amazing. Yeah, I think that's an amazing fascinating thing. part of movie making is being in the prop world. Yes, and uh, I don't know. We may have touched upon it on another episode of Matched and the Other Guy, but of course, one of the key attractions I believe to Star Wars is the way that George Lucas and his team deliberately went about making everything look dated and used and worn, and, yeah. and on the point of breaking down. Uh, before that, I mean, again, when you look at the first first series of Star Trek, everything looks brand new. Yeah, all the time. You yeah. know, that, that and was which is kind of you know, it looks more like military, where everything is spit and shine. Everything was polished. Everything looked brand new. There was no wear and tear on anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and it, I, I, in my experience, and I may be wrong, but in my experience, Star Wars was the first franchise to break away from that idea of everything in the future looks brand new. Yeah. Why should it look brand new just because it's in the future? And uh, that's been copied over and over and over now and to give it a more realistic sense of authenticity. And I like that. I like to see the ships that have blaster marks on them and burn marks and... uh, Uniforms that are a little bit torn, and yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, and we haven't touched on this too, but you know, you go a couple of years later into Alien, which of course is probably the greatest sci fi slash horror yes. film of all time. Yes, and you know, the the, the Nostromo and the, and the crew looked like normal people, they they were just blue collar workers, yeah. you know, and they looked, you know, Harry Dean Stanton's character wore like a Hawaiian shirt under yes, his jacket, right. and he had an oily cap because yeah. he worked in the mechanicals and stuff. Yeah. He was always getting filthy dirty. It looked, it looked like, like a freighter. Like it looked like a yeah. freighter, didn't it? It looked like is, it was supposed yes. to do. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, I've always, I've always said that that movie could be set, it, it's going to be the same 100 years from now as it was in 79 when it came out. It, it's timeless in when it could have been. 
Yes. Granted, the the kind of the lights, you know, in the in the computer room, the mother where the mother of the computer is. Yeah. It kind of looks a little dated. Yes, but, I know. You know yes. Again, you can still let that go and say. So, the, yes, the, the understanding and the advancement of electronics has shifted so much in, in the last couple, three decades that now that is showing up as being a flaw, if you like, in future technology. But uh, beyond that, you're right. Everything in Alien looks still looks correct yeah. and believable. And the same with Star Wars. Everything looks correct and believable to me. You know, yeah. There'd be nothing you would change in the Star Wars universe. But again, George Lucas and the guys, I mean, just did the most tremendous job. And if you think back to some of the um, visual displays, the computer-type displays that were used in Star Wars, for example, the guidance computers that were used to find the little exhaust vent on the bombing run towards the end of the Death Star, and you have those sort of very sort of janky looking sort of bleep, 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 yeah. little images. Looks like an 80s, early 80s it video looks game. looks like an early 80s video game, but I think George Lucas and the guys have been, have been very good in carrying that along and still yeah. continuing to use it, not trying to update it as if this is still the technology we wanted to use. You know, yeah. I think that's a great way of handling that. Well, if you think about it too, and you look at them, you know, flying through the chasm and they look at that, it's kind of a simple grid. It's like, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Here's the grid. There's the dot. <laughs> yes, Aim like for the that. dot. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I think they did that very well. well the what? other thing I've noticed also, actually, in Star Wars recently is um, this wonderful use of, of different fonts uh, where they've created, when, when George Lucas has gone back and recreated and, and worked on those early movies, inserted the different fonts back into that so that there's all right, there's, there is an alien font that runs through or, if you like, a galactic font that runs right through, which isn't English-based. You know, yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, of course, a lot of people are, you know, very, people say never, he should have never gone back and retouched it, and that's a whole other, you know, argument. I, I, well, so. I don't, my, my opinion on that is simply this. It, it, they belong to George Lucas, in my opinion, and George can do exactly yeah, what he wants I mean, with them, you know. They are my babies, and <laughs> right. here, you know, yes. like them or don't. I, I mean, I think that, I, hey, an absolutely microcosm version of what George Lucas and his movies are like, I think if I wanted to go back into anything that I'd written and change a sentence because I didn't think it looked right or change a paragraph or move something around... I, I believe I've got the perfect right and freedom to do that of my own books. And I hope Sometimes none of my readers peril, but yeah, uh, I hope none of my readers will be upset by it. But if they were, I mean, I'd have to say, well, I'm sorry you're upset by it, but I would prefer my work to to look like this. I want it to be better. I always wanted it to be better, and I think that was that's exactly what George did with his movies. He wanted to make them better. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I, this, you'll get a little kick out of this is looking back at Star Trek. Um, you know, when I would see it as a kid occasionally or something like that, this this was always fun. Because, you know, the, the part of the, the Enterprise, that huge disc, yes. is the, the main part of the ship. Yeah. Well, and what I always thought, because when they see the bridge, the bridge is round. So I always thought that whole thing was the bridge. So I could ah, never figure right, out right, when, right. They, when they went to the elevator and went somewhere, I'm like, where do they go? <laughs> Are they going down that shaft, down to that tube? I'm like, where on earth do they go in this thing when yeah. they leave the bridge? So, and then you come later to realize the bridge is just that tiny part yes, at the bottom. Yes, the, the, yes, it's a much bigger... And there's a huge, you know, yeah. multi-rooms and multi-this, that, and the other. But as a kid, I can never yeah. figure out where they, where on earth they're going. I but, think the Enterprise, though, um, talking about cool spaceships and cool design, the Enterprise is another, just, a, just an iconic design. Oh, yeah. Right? They always say, like, animated characters, what do they look like in silhouette? Because that's the indication of a good animation or a good design of an animated character, what do they look like in just in silhouette? And again, you could recognize the Enterprise 
it's a silhouette instantly, couldn't you? you know, yeah. it's, got, it's just a beautiful, beautiful shape, yeah. Yeah. Well, and too, you know, we talked about how, how in Star Trek everything looked, you know, kind of more, you know, clean and crisp and right. everything. But right. I did, I'd always kind of said that it looked like the Enterprise was like a brand new Cadillac, but yet the Klingons always looked like they were driving 30-year-old Ramblers, you know? <laughs> Their stuff always looked like they were barely keeping them together. And, yeah, you know. oh, I see. On the inside, you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, so, in the outside, yeah. you kind of look I, I, more. I mean, I kind of like the Klingon warbird shape. That's you know, with those sort of mm -hmm. the drooping wings, for want of a better. I don't know what you know. I don't know if you have wings on a spaceship, but the drooping wings on the towards the rear and that long neck on, on the warbirds. Yeah, I thought they look, head at the Yes, time, yeah. yeah. I think they. That's another very cool design. Boy, they, they well, and two weren't weren't in the the original series. Weren't both both a Romulan ship and a Klingon ship both called Birds of Prey? Well, I think there is a you know, and I'm I'm no great expert on on Star Trek, and I I suspect already there will be folks. I know there's probably some going. No, 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 it's exactly this and this. <laughs> but, but my understanding is that there is a, there is a connection between the Romulans and um, the Klingons. Yeah. And I'm yes. sure there's a reason, but part of me always said, could you have thought of a different name for the other ones? Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. I machines? Know. But anyway, like I said, there's probably some exact <laughs> reason, and somebody knows exactly why it happened. Star Trek enthusiasts, do let us know what the connection is. I'm, I am, again, I'm not an expert, but I am sure that I've, I am aware that there is a connection between Romulans and Klingons. <laughs> yes, maybe they're cousins or something. Well, again, you know, talking about you know, going back to where Star Wars kind of changed everything, mm. I mean, from that point on, you could just tell that everybody was jumping on the space bandwagon. Right, because um, in nineteen later in nineteen seventy seven, and very few people will probably remember this, but it's kind of like, oh my gosh, there was a little half hour show called Quark, and okay. it was a comedy, yeah. and it started. And it was what it was was they flew around space in a garbage scowl, and they would collect space garbage, and it was a, a kind of a sitcom, yeah, but very short lived, probably a season or less. Uh, it started oh, wow. Richard Benjamin, which was a comedic actor, but. I remember vividly watching that. Of course, it was anything that had to do with space after Star Wars, I was going to give a try and lock in on. And yes. I, I remember watching that. I remember like being babysat at my cousin's house and, and watching it over at their house. Came and went. You yeah, know? I wonder what happened to that. Well, yes, well, I think that's, that, that idea of uh, different TV networks and different movie producers latching onto an idea that wins is... is Still current today, oh, isn't gosh, it? Yes, yeah, you get yes. one one thing that works, and then there are endless spin-offs of different, slightly different varieties of it. Yeah. Well, and then you know, early early in the next year, and and early '78, then you're, you know, Happy Days was carrying on. Then they introduced Mork. You know, they brought in Robin Williams, <laughs> and that had to be a direct pull of well, everything's kind of space oriented yeah. right now. Let's try this. So, and then that of course led to Mork and Mindy, and but yeah. that was you know probably from that, and then. Um, Possibly, yeah. Later yeah. on in 78, I think we got what was, I think the best thing that we got from that pull was Battlestar Galactica, the original TV series, which yes. I thought was pretty darn good, and I yeah. really enjoyed it. I know we've chatted about this over dinner a couple of times. You're a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, I think. Well, I mean, I, I grew up with that one because it was you know, great to have something on TV that you could watch because, of course, you know, younger people won't relate to this, but, you know, back then... When you saw Star Wars and Star Wars in the theater, you saw it in the theater, and once it left, it was gone. You're not going to get to see it until it returns as a limited engagement. Right, or something. There wasn't VCRs and uh, certainly wasn't anything to pull up on a computer or anything like that to watch. You had your chance, and after that, you had to relive it in yeah. toys or whatever. There was no seeing it again. So here we had Battlestar Galactic as a weekly show that you got your space fix. Yeah. 
And it was pretty darn, like I say, pretty darn interesting, especially as a, you know, nine-year-old for myself, you know, it was really good. I bet, you know, yeah. So I don't, I, I'm, you know, I've seen a couple of episodes of it, but I, I can't ever remember it as a, as a much younger kid. I, I, much younger kid, I still think of myself as a kid now, as a much younger kid in England. I can't remember seeing many episodes of, of it. Going back, however, to, um, to Star Wars, you reminded me now of... Um, when the Death Star is, is destroyed in Star Wars, it, it, I've only known this twice in my, in, my, in my life. When the Death Star was destroyed in Star Wars, I just remember the entire auditorium just jumping to his feet and clapping and, and screaming with really? delight. You know, like, wow. wow, finally, you know, the Death Star's been destroyed. And the only other time I remember that sort of reaction from uh, a movie crowd was at the end of Jaws when the shark is killed. In the in in the movie, different ending in the book, but uh, in the movie, when the um, when the oxygen tank is uh, shot and the shark blows up again, I just remember that same reaction from the crowd. Oh, wow. crowd people jumping up and applauding and cheering. It was just a yeah. magical moment. Yeah, that's when I only the, ever the movie twice. in the theater is an amazing. Yes, absolutely. Experience. Yes, yes, that reaction from the crowd. Well, see, I saw Star Wars. I didn't. I was too young to see Jaws. In the theater, my mom wouldn't have had any interest in taking me to that anyway. But she did take me to, to Star Wars. And who knows? We probably went on a matinee. There probably was not a big crowd. I can't remember. But I thought all the all the three original Star Wars films, you know, uh, Star Wars Empire and Jedi in Knoxville. And it's sadly all the theaters that I saw those in, which was two of them. I saw one in a twin cinema, the original, and then the uh, Empire and Jedi in another twin cinema at another. But both have been long torn yeah, down. Yeah long gone yeah so but of course one of the other wonderful features of, of Star Wars beyond the wonderful music itself the soundtrack is the is the sounds the audio that was so unique I mean that of the oh, yeah. lightsabers you know it's just fantastic and the the Unique, distinctive sounds of the laser blasters versus the sounds of the TIE fighters and the, the X-wing craft and all. Everything had a unique. And now, if you hear those sounds, you'll know instantly what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? They've, they've. It made such a difference. They weren't just generic noises in any way. Well, I remember they they showed a special on TV, and I can't remember if it was after Star Wars. Or it might have been around the time that that uh, Empire came out. But they talked about the special effects, and I think one of them was. The guy wires on like a telephone pole, yes. the, the tension wires. Yes. That if they come up with a like a, have a recording device and have a hammer or something like that, and hit that wire, and it makes one of the famous sounds. It yes. might have been the laser blast or something. Droom, droom, yeah, yes. or something like that. That's where they you're got exactly right. I think that's exactly what it was. Mm. Yeah, it was the high. Yes, it was the it was the wire holding the telegraph pole up into position, yep. wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's tense and would just emit that when you hit it with a certain thing at a certain angle or something like that, which was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, uh, and doing a little bit of research, it made me think about ARC too. so I looked it up uh, fairly recently because I remember that as a kid. Lo and behold, the it said the sounds inside the RV that they used to drive around are the same sound effects they use in the, uh, the uh, animated Star Trek series prior to that. Same company oh, yeah. was a producer, so they just use the sound. So you'll, you'll recognize if you're a fervent fan of the animated Star Trek series, if you listen or watch Arc 2, you'll recognize the sounds inside the RV, they say. Oh, is that right? So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, a lot of crossover stuff. I do remember, I think, one episode of Arc 2, they encounter Robbie the Robot, which you're, I'm sure, very familiar with. Yeah, well, not very familiar with, but familiar, yeah. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Do, and that was probably the first time I ever saw him, because I'd never seen Forbidden Planet. And then wasn't he, was he ever in Lost in Space? 
Yes, I think he was. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was. Actually, yeah. he wasn't the robot, but he was. I think a, I don't know. Somebody <laughs> yeah, somewhere I have a again is going. Was, oh yeah. yeah, he was like this. Yeah. We got Battlestar Galactica, and that was a big thing. And then you know, I think a year later, we got Buck Rogers. Which yeah. was, of course, a you know a re you know reiteration. Yes. Uh, and they did that as a movie first, Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century, and then they brought it back as or brought it out as a TV show probably later that year. I think probably as a summer movie, and it did well. And they brought back you know Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray and all them and, and made the series. Yes. And uh, I still remember vividly watching that one. Um, it's it's funny at the very beginning of you watch the the opening, and it's I think it's not an exact quote, but it's. It's something along the lines of, the year is 1987. NASA launches the last of America's great space probes. And we're like going, 87? Well, that's how many years ago now? So I know. It was only, yeah, less than 10 years away when they filmed it, you know? Yes. But, well, I think many of those science fiction movies and franchises have, were all based in years that have already happened by now, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. I think with Blade Runner 2019, I think. I can't 2019, remember. 2020, something like well, that. Well, they so had I think, that reiteration of it, yeah. yeah. I, so I think Blade Runners should have already well, happened. And I, I mean, think, we're jumping um, around a little bit, but Escape from New York was supposed to be 1997. Yes. Um, and Mad Max, I think Mad Max is has, has already happened or is very close to well, happening. Wasn't it maybe 2020? And that explains a lot. Mm. I don't think they were too far off from what. Uh, That's right, that explains. Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. I know. I, I might not be too 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 bad of a way to go. Yeah. Yes. Did you ever imagine, um, as a much younger man, looking forward to 2021? That beyond the awfulness of the, of the pandemic and all of that, but just the state of technology and the state of the world. Did you ever imagine that 2021 would look as it does? I no. No. Of course, who who would have thought anyway? But it just gives a, a, no, I often think about this, it just gives an indication that how different will the world look in another hundred years? Yeah. Probably not that different. Well, and of course, I mean, there's always the adage of, you know, well, where's the flying cars? We're supposed to have flying cars by now, you know, that kind of thing. The Jetsons promised us flying cars, you know. But, <laughs> That's right, I feel short change. But yet yeah, we do have the, you know, Zoom calls and we have, you know, you can watch and, and oh, speak boy, to yeah. people on your watch. I mean, that's very Dick Tracy, very Jetsons, very... A lot of things. I was only watching Dick Tracy one day ago. Really? <laughs> yeah, so was, the movie? or yeah, The movie. Oh, yeah, the, the movie. Warren Beatty movie? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Warren yeah. Beatty movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, with Madonna playing Breathless Mahoney. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that was a chock. It did not do that well. The no. It was chock full of stars. What Was it Al, it Pac was, Al Pacino was yes, prune face or yes, yeah. Mumbles or whatever um, it was? Or, no, he wasn't prune face, but he, he was... He was one of the, yes, he was like the, uh, uh, the villain of the piece. But yes, it must have been a very expensive movie to make. Um, yes, and my, my understanding is it was never a terrific success. No, Commercial I, success. Yeah, I'd have to look at the numbers again, but I think it kind of flopped in a way. Mm. Yeah, it had some, t- yeah, I'm sure it had a good amount of tie-ins to whatever back in the day, but I can't remember what they were now. Yeah, but looking at that technology, the first time I, we may have chatted about this before, but the first time I ever remember seeing um video chat such as zoom or pick your particular product would be in 2001 i can yeah. remember i can remember that happening um yeah one of the characters calls his calls his wife because i think it's his daughter's birthday and they have a little chat on the on a video call and uh i can remember thinking well wow what an amazing thing that would be and of course here we are commonplace yeah, we so we're, we're, we're talking about the world being very different or not being very different but you're right i think technology 
and again, that probably feeds on or feeds on from what we're talking about the um, the somewhat basic looking computer screen technology that was in Star Wars and Star Trek at the time those franchises were made. Um, the technology has moved on and communication has moved on in such a way. And when you think about the communicators in Star Trek, of course, it's just a flip phone, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. We haven't, still haven't got the transporter yet. But Well, I think in the, I, I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of this, too, but I think they, when these kind of came out, they, they said how much they were like. And didn't they use a lot of tablets in Next Generation that looked just like iPods or yeah, iPads? Uh, yeah, iPads, yes. Yeah. yeah. They'd walk around with those things and scan your, the medical would scan you, I guess. Yeah. And then, but they would put in data and carry them around and we, that's exactly what we carry around and do a lot of things with it sure is yeah and when I say we haven't got the transporter but we do now have 3D printing and I think that's probably the first step towards the transporter personally I think it's coming there's the technology I think um, and it's very embryonic stage but I wouldn't be surprised if in Maybe in another hundred years or something. Yeah. I, don't want to, I don't want to be the guinea pig. I've seen the fly, and I do not want to be any of the test subjects. <laughs> That's right. Moving away slightly from science fiction to science fact, but can you imagine what a tremendous boost for space travel and 3D printer must be? Where now, 3D printing has moved on so much that from those simple 3D wax to now using a metal matrix, almost like a titanium powder to produce components now let's say for example one was on the moon or one was on mars and a particular component broke you could print a replacement for it yeah. rather than waiting six months nine months a year for something to be sent from earth you can print whatever is broken i mean that's just that's just that's just, i mean that to me is a real game changer in terms of what we can do now yeah 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 i think everything you know, if we look at some of the positive things that are going on in the world and the advancements we we're not we're people working hard at giving us some amazing things in yeah. the near future you know it's going to be interesting to see on the cusp of you know yes i, I i'm i'm longing for the day when humanity steps onto the surface of mars boy i hope that happens while i'm still around to see it i would love that too be the case. What a what an amazing experience that would be for us all to see that. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see the process and and who's going to be the one to the team that will go and yeah. You know. <clears throat> one of the most exciting things to me, just on a very personal level, selfish level, really, uh, when we humanity returns to the surface of the moon, I'm longing to. Um, to see a, a, a video footage of what the original landing sites from the Apollo missions look like. Yeah. Well, that'd be cool. <laughs> to yeah. see what's still there. Will Armstrong's footprint still be in that moon dust? Yeah. How's the flag doing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's, I think, what an amazing thing that you would get, be. Maybe get a $50 bonus if you can actually find the golf ball. That's right. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> well, and too, the, 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 uh, definitely the, uh, what do they call them? Rovers? The, the, yeah, the, rovers. Those yeah. are all sitting there. They didn't, they didn't load those things back up. Yeah, That's a lot, that's a lot of cash at least, sitting up there. At least we hope they're still sitting there. Bum, bum, bum. Wouldn't it be funny if we got there, they were up on blocks and the wheels were stolen? <laughs> I do remember many, many years ago, there was a very cheesy newspaper. I think it was called The Daily Sport in England. And, um, it's a bit like the National Enquirer magazine, I think. Um, one of the headlines one day was... Um, London double-decker bus found on the surface of the moon. And, of course, they had a very early Photoshop technology of a London double-decker bus on the lunar surface. 
well, the, 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 this to me did it for me. The week after, I think the headline was, London double-decker bus disappears from the moon. And there was just a picture of the moon there. <laughs> That's great. What a great way to end the story. Yeah. <laughs> just take the bus away from the moon's surface, yeah. Yeah, it's a good conversation. I like, I mean, as you said when we started chatting about science fiction, it's one of those subjects that we can just chat about endlessly. Oh, this So is, many different... Like I said, it has such a subculture that they, it could go on forever, and we haven't even touched on numerous, numerous yes. shows and movies in that genre, but, uh, you know, that's kind of like, you know, my introduction and, and what got me, like I said, that once 77 hit in Star Wars, and my growing up was the big, big turning point. And for me, I would say my first introduction, real introduction to science fiction would be Doctor Who. And I can remember the early Doctor Who's from the 60s, original black and white shows. Um, they caught everybody's attention in England. Um, I don't know how, if it, I don't know if it even showed, um, if they were screened over in the States, those early Doctor Who episodes from the 60s and 70s. But the first one I ever th think I recall saw, it, let's, say, let's say it was sometime in the early 80s, yeah. and it was whatever iteration, the, the guy with the big brown curly hair. Uh, yes, the fourth Doctor, I think, yes. And I remember it being on, and they showed some scene where it was supposed to be a warship, and you could tell it was a model that was about 12 inches long in a bathtub. And I said, I'm out. I can't do this. And that was my, that was, that was the end of it for me. I think that was, um, that was the BBC special effects in full effect, because unlike Star Wars and everything else, the BBC never had any real budget. Mm -hmm. And they would try to make best use of everything they could to save a penny yeah. to produce these shows. Yes, and I do remember... Uh, the doctor you're describing was Tom Baker, a chap called Tom Baker. He used a great big scarf, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big, big long coat and, and scarf. Um, <clears throat> and before him, Doctor Number Three, John Pertwee. Uh, so that was, my, that was my era, really, three and four. Um, <clears throat> but I remember characters like um, Cybermen, who was supposed to be a sort of combination of half human, half robot, where a species was was working to replace all the parts of the body that would break down eventually and replace them with computer technology or whatever it would be. Um, and I remember a lot of those um, characters would walk around wearing uh, Dr. Martin boots, like workman boots that were, were obviously sprayed with silver paint, you know, and that sort of thing. And yeah. Yes. Lots of rocks, the fallen rocks were all made of polystyrene and you no. can hear them sounding like polystyrene as well. <laughs> very, very little, I guess, very little um, uh, budget for special effects, but... Um. Well, and I'm, and I'm sure that the, the people that are very much into it, that's a major part of the charm was all yeah, the... A major you know, part of the charm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure they appreciate yes. that. And I'm, and I'm sure the, new, the newest iterations they're doing of it with the special effects and budgets they have now is probably fantastic and amazing. It's just something I never picked up on. In comparison, I do remember going to uh, Blackpool in the north of England for a holiday with my parents, which um, um, very popular destination in England for for, for annual holidays. Uh, and they had a Doctor Who exhibition, and uh, I think we were there for a week. And I remember spending all my pocket money every day. I would just go in through the Doctor Who exhibition oh, really? and walk oh. around and just, just... How old were you then? Ten. Okay. I would guess something like that. And they had Daleks in there and they had the Silurians in there and, you know, again, the Cybermen were in there. And 
waxworks of the different doctors. Just, I was just fascinated, just, just fascinated with all of it. And again, something else that we've chatted about to this day that my, I, I think that working in a props department, especially now in the movies in, in 2021, must be just so thrilling to oh, yeah. make things and just play. You know, basically, just playing and just being a big kid, right? Oh, right? absolutely. I, mean, I, would, I would love I, it. I think it would be fantastic. Well, we better begin to wrap this up, haven't we? I think so. Yeah, I think we, that was a fun conversation. We scratched the surface, but it was fun. It got us sus- a, a very I, enjoyable episode. I suspect we we will return, gentle listener, to this conversation of uh, science fiction in the future. Because, like you you just said, Kevin, it's such a vast subject, and we're all in love with science fiction. Oh, yeah, we just did. Wonderful. All right, do please join us again on another episode of Matthew and the Other Guy. Bye for now. See you next time.